power of prayer is in our hands because God allows us to petition him. Whatever the situations might be going on in our lives personally, that's what we did here at this altar call. We came believing God uh, that God would intervene in those areas in our lives. I like what F.B. Meyer wrote. He said this about prayer. The tragedy of life is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. And too many times that God wants to communicate with us. He wants us to come boldly before him and make our requests known. But the tragedy of life is that too many people, especially Christians, exclude that aspect from their life. Do not take advantage of that communication that God has allowed us to have with him. We call prayer. And in Colossians chapter 4, in verse 2, the Apostle Paul has given us instruction about our prayer, how we should pray. He's given us an example of his prayer and how important it is that we know that prayer is not a religious response, just some kind of religious thing we do. But there is action behind it. There is purpose behind prayer that we need to understand. So he says this, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well that God will open us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. So Paul gives us some instruction about his prayer life that we can mimic and we can begin to apply in ours. Number one, he said, pray, be devoted to yourselves in prayer. In other words, pray with persistence. When you're devoted to something, you are persistent about it. You are constantly doing it because it's a part of your life. You're devoted to it. You have, you have purposed your life to that area whatever that might be. And so Paul says that's the same way it needs to be with prayer. Continue earnestly in prayer. And then he said, pray with passion. He says we should be watchful or vigilant. In other words, do not be slothful in your prayer, but be passionate. Pray like you believe God is going to work in you. Pray like you believe that you're in communication with the Lord. Pray like you believe the word of God is truth. Passionately, fervently, not just glimly or just, yeah, Lord, you know, whatever. Yeah, we don't need whatever in our prayer. We need purpose in our prayer. That's why Paul gave us structure. Paul gave us instruction about how to pray. And he said, pray passionately. Then he said, pray with thanksgiving. We covered these things last week. Be thankful in your prayer. Don't just come with your shopping list with what I need, what I want. We pray for ourselves. I understand that. We pray for our families. I get that. We pray for the things going on in our lives. Yes. But yet, understand, come to prayer and give God praise first. Thank him for giving you that day to be able to pray, the energy, the life, to be able to worship. Paul writes, Philippians chapter 4, and in verse 6, he says, don't be anxious, don't be worried, but in everything, pray, 
giving thanks as we make our petitions known to the Lord. So I'm going to pick up this morning where we left off last week, and that is praying, making intercession. Intercessory prayer. What is that? Intercessory prayer is praying for someone else other than yourself, praying for someone else's needs other than our own needs. Intervening for others means uh, asking and praying for God's will to be done in their lives, not just to be done in our own lives. See, too many times when it comes to prayer, we don't become what God wants us to become in prayer simply because we're too focused on ourselves in our walk with Christ. We are too involved with ourselves and we lose sight of why Jesus came into this world, why God sent his son for the lost and the hurting. And when we read Colossians and Paul's prayer, he says, I am praying that God would, that, that I would be able to speak the word uh, to those who need to hear. He had a burden for the lost. And so he was intercessing for those people who would come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and that's how we need to pray. We need to learn so that we can mature because when we learn to intercede for people, something happens in us. Something begins to take place. A maturity begins to happen. There's a growth begins to take place in our life spiritually because it's not just about us anymore, but now we are focused outwardly and now we have the burden that uh, God, I'm praying for my neighbors. I'm praying for those I work with, those I go to school with, my family members who are not saved. Uh, Lord, those folks in church uh, who maybe need a miracle, I'm praying for them. And you know what begins to happen is healing begins to come into our own lives. Strength becomes, begins to come into our own lives when we pray for other people. Maturity comes, uh, discipline comes, uh, and God begins. We become more Christ-like. Think about our prayer revival we had. And, and one of the nights and one of the evenings, a woman who was with, uh, I guess, family members or friends, she said, God healed me, but before that happened, I was praying for my sisters here. And I was praying that God would get involved in their lives and help them. And he says, she said that while I was praying, the pain went away in my feet. I had pain in my feet, and it's no longer there. And you see, something powerful happens when we forget about ourselves and we start to intercede for other people. I told this story this morning about a man named Hunter Adams. He was a depressed and suicidal individual in his middle-aged years. And so because of that suicide and depression, he committed himself to a mental institution. And while he was there... He began to, obviously, he noticed he still had his faculties. He still had his wits about him, but he committed himself because he was suicidal and he wanted, thought he could get help through psychological uh, resources that, that that mental institution had. And so while he was there, he noticed that he was actually having to bunk with someone who was severely mentally disabled. And he began to look at this, this individual and try to help him out. He started making jokes. He started laughing about himself and started trying to help this man take his mind off of the fears that he had in his life. And he found that this man started to do a little better, so he started to implement that 
in that mental facility, he started making other people laugh. He put a clown nose on. He would act goofy. He would start making fun of himself again and making jokes. And before you knew, knew it, he was helping people inside that mental facility for kind of cope with some of the things that they were going through, some of those that were less severely mentally uh, disabled. And he finally decided in himself, you know, I think I know what I want to do. I think I, because he started feeling better. He, did, he, he stopped feeling suicidal. His depression started to, to leave. And he told the, the, the um, physician there, the psychiatrist, I'm going to leave this place. And they said, no, you shouldn't leave. You're not well yet. He says, no, you don't understand. I know what I need to do now. I know what makes me feel better. I help people, and I feel better because of it. So this middle-aged man left that mental institution, and a short time later, later, he enrolled in the Medical College of Virginia. He was the oldest first-year medical student in that university because he started late in life. Kind of like if I was to do it. If I was to go to a, 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 a start my medical school, they'd look at me and say, well, aren't you ready to retire or what? <laughs> and he started doing the same thing in that, in that medical college. Started acting, you know, kind of crazy and funny, making people laugh, helping the patients, and he saw that they were starting to get better. Long story short, this Hunter Adams... What he begins to do is he thinks about it and he says, you know what, I want to start this, this institution, this institute to help people medically who can't afford insurance, who are depressed. I want to get a place for them and I want to help them. So he got some of his fellow uh, doctors to help begin this place. He went out and he bought 105 acres of land. He got this institute, and he built this institution from the ground up. How do you do that? Well, I'll tell you how he did it. While he was inside that, that uh, medical facility, that, that mentally uh, handicapped facility, he met another gentleman who he didn't really know was a multimillionaire, and he helped this man get over his mental uh, depression and all the things that he was in that facility for. He also uh, self uh, 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 put himself in there so he could come out anytime he wanted. So he made contact with this man and he said, listen, what I want to do is I want to help people. I want this, I'm going to put a hospital here, etc. and so on. So this man bankrolled him, paid for the land, built that building uh, for him to be able to help other people just like they were. What's the moral of this story? When you get involved in other people's lives, God begins to bring healing inside of you. When you begin to focus outside of yourself and begin to pray, intercede for other people, miracles can begin to happen. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul wanted them to do. Think about it as he was praying. He didn't ask them to pray that God would send me a lawyer so I can get out of jail. Somebody pray so they can get my bail so I can get out of jail? That's not what he prayed for. He prayed, pray for me that I would be able, while I'm in here, to minister to people, to help other people. You see, that's what Paul was trying to get across to this church. Teach them how to pray. So when you and I pray for others, we become more like Jesus because Jesus was always interceding 
for other people, wasn't he? He was always praying for the lost. Isaiah chapter 53, the prophet prophesies about uh, the, the Savior and deliverer in verse 12. It says that he himself bore the sins of many and he interceded for the transgressors. Jesus, praying for Peter in his weaknesses, in his time of testing, and he says in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 22 and verse 23, he says, Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Jesus knew Peter's weakness. He knew his faults. And he was praying for Peter that he would be able to overcome those weaknesses and faults uh, and that his faith would, would endure and, and be strong. What does that say for you and me? We all have friends, family members, loved ones who have weaknesses, who have faults. So instead of picking at them, instead of criticizing them, why don't you pray for them so that God can begin to heal them, intercede for them. Stop complaining about them. Just think, instead of complaining and you prayed for them, they would get healed and delivered and you'd have nothing to complain about anymore. Isn't that great? But too many times we don't do like what Jesus does, where he intercedes for people and he interceded for Peter because he knew he was weak in certain areas of his life. John chapter 17, and in verse 19, Jesus prays for the church, and he says, I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on, my, on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you have given to me. Romans 8, 34, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding, praying for us, intercessory prayer. So my question this morning is uh, the time you do spend in prayer. How much of that time is spent praying for other people other than your shopping list? How much of your time is spent interceding for those in our church who you know need a miracle in your family, at your job, or at your school? People who are headed to hell. Paul wanted everyone to know about the love of Jesus Christ and he did this through intercessory prayer, and he was trying to teach the church, this church, don't be selfish in your prayers. Don't be only just self-focused in your prayers, but look out into the world. As Jesus told the disciples, uh, there are people who are hurting. Pray for the harvest uh, that laborers would be sent. Don't just pray for yourself. Miracles and great things, destiny happens. This, this, this man, Hunter Adams, made a movie about him called Patch Adams. And uh, I, I think that he un would never in his wildest dreams while he was in that mental institution ever thought that he would one day become a doctor and that one day he would build a, 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 a medical institution that was called Gesundheit. That makes you laugh. That's what he called it. So when people call in, the way they answer the phone, Gesundheit. Because he knew that laughter, how many know it brings healing? The Bible says, talks about laughter. 
And he used this laughter to, to try to help people. And I was thinking the wildest dreams that he had that he would ever be able to accomplish what he accomplished simply by helping others. How about you this morning? How much more would you be able to accomplish? How much more would God be able to use your life if we stop self-focusing and begin to look outwardly and begin to look for those who are hurting and those who need a miracle in their lives? You see, God will begin to use us and grow us in ways that go beyond our imaginations if we start to serve people. Maybe you've been in this church for some time but you haven't yet started serving. You haven't yet started getting involved in helping someone else. I want to give you a word of advice. Yes, there's always, a, a, we always need help in, in areas of ministry and always need help in, for, for folks to get involved in serving others. But it goes beyond just needing help. Because what takes place is that when you give, you, you release yourself into a service ministry of serving other people, transformation takes place now. You, you, you know that for those who used to serve and don't serve anymore. You know what I'm talking about. Sure, you're saved, you're serving God, but it's not the same. It's just not the same as releasing and giving because there's not only an intake, but there's an outlet. And when there's an intake and an outlet, there's life. And life is growing and life is, 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 is continuing. And that's why it's so important that we understand this concept. And I wanted to take my time here of serving. And in intercessory prayer, we serve that way, praying for others. So what happens when we pray? Well, number one, prayer personalizes the burden. It, it makes it my burden, your burden. When you hear, you know, let's pray for this country. Let's pray, pray for these folks. Let's pray for this situation. You're not just hearing about it, but now it's personal. Now you have that burden. Now you take on that burden as it were. And you begin to be a part of that and experience the miracle of uh, praying beyond whatever we could have imagined. So it personalizes the burden. Second thing it does is it forces us to wait. And we all know about waiting when it comes to prayer. Prayer is always waiting on God. If we want to be in the will of God, prayer means you wait for God to answer. See, God has three answers when it comes to prayer. We don't like two of them. One of God's answers is yes. We all love that one, don't we? Yes, thank you, yes. Then there's no. Well, we don't like no. That, that's not a good one. And then there's wait. We don't like that one either because that's just one step beyond below no. <laughs> and when we pray, we learn what? We learn patience. We learn to wait on the will of God because let me tell you something. When we pray and don't wait for God's answers and we move on our, our emotions or we move on circumstances, or we move on what this person says or that person says, guess what? We miss out on the will of God for that area we've been praying about. That's why the devil fights us so hard when it comes to prayer. 
Because he doesn't want us to know the will of God. He doesn't want us to do the will of God. So he wants us to be just reactive, reactionary. And whatever we're going to do is just do something. But God says, wait. I like what John MacArthur says about waiting on God. He says there's a tension between boldness coming before the throne of God and waiting on God's will. The tension is resolved by being persistent, of course, keep praying, but yet accepting God's answer when it finally comes. So what does that do for us? How does that help us during those times when we pray and God says, wait? Well, I'll tell you what, it'll help you stop. It'll help you to keep from getting frustrated. There's a lot of frustrated folks in church. And they get frustrated because, ah, God, I don't know what he's doing. I don't know what's taking him so long. I don't even know if he heard me. Well, let me tell you, when you learn to wait on the Lord, Lord and you learn to be patient, now what begins to happen is we understand that God is not on our schedule, but now we focus on God's schedule for our lives. Oh, gee whiz, God, you know, it's the end of the month. You better hurry up. You know, something's got to happen here. You know, days are passing. Minutes are passing. Hours are passing. So get on the ball, yes or no. God says, wait. Well, I don't want to hear wait, yes or no. And we put God on our time schedule. Let me tell you something. It doesn't work that way. God doesn't want to be on our schedule. He wants us to be on his time schedule. And we do that when we pray because the will of God needs to be done his way. We learn that. Also, prayer opens our spiritual eyes. When we pray, things happen. Our eyes are opened to what God is doing, not what we think we see. It enables us to get in touch with God's miracle-working power and forces in the supernatural. In 2 Kings, in chapter number 6, great story about Israel being surrounded by the enemy's uh, army. And uh, Elijah's servant is getting all discombobulated. He is nervous. He's freaking out. He doesn't know what to do. And he's, he, he's crying to Elijah, what are we going to do? We're surrounded by the enemy. And Elijah looks at him. And the story in verse 15 when the servant of the man saw that there were troops and horses and chariots everywhere, he says, what are we going to do now? The young man cried to Elijah, and Elijah says, don't be afraid, for there are more on our side than on theirs. Then Elijah prayed, Elijah prayed, oh Lord, open his eyes and let him see. And the Lord opened the, the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw the hillside around Elijah was filled with horses and chariots of fire. More of them than there was, yes, uh, of God's people than there was of the enemy. You see, when you pray, supernatural things begin to happen. You get into the spiritual realm. So when the devil's lying to you and he says, 
There's no way out. What are you going to do now? How is this going to happen? How is that going to happen? You say, devil, get behind me. I've been praying, and I see angels. Uh, God, I see the power of God. I'm surrounded with the forces of, of heaven. Spiritual things take place when we pray because it's a communication with God, the creator, heaven and earth. Prayer aligns our heart with the heart of God. That's what Paul was trying to do with these folks in the city of Colossae. He was trying to get them to be in line with the heart of God. What is the heartbeat of God? It is people. And yes, I'm sure there were those that were worried for Paul and how are we going to get him out and I hope he's okay and what are we going to do to help him? And Paul was saying, you know what, enough of that. But we want to be able to touch people's lives. And so pray for me to be able to witness. And uh, that was Paul trying to get the people in line with the heart of God. And when we pray and we're sensitive to the spirit of God, we can move forward. Prayer enables us to take the right steps ahead. Because with God, we can't do anything. With man, it's impossible. But with God, what? All things are possible. And when we pray and we align our heart with God's heart, the will of God, the purpose of God, God begins to move in those situations like he did with the Apostle Paul. And so this morning, the questions I ask you as the music team makes their way forward, what does your prayer life look like? Do you have a prayer life? Is your, is your prayer life non-existence only in you know, like the little glass thing on the wall break in case of emergency? During times of crisis only? But is there a relationship with God? A communication, a line, a conduit between you and the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords this morning that enables you to be involved in changing destinies as you pray, touching people's lives in other nations as you pray, seeing other people respond to salvation and being healed as we pray, becoming more mature and growing in our relationship with God as we pray. So how is your prayer life? Are you persistent in your prayer or do you give up too easily? Are your prayers passionate, believing in faith, or are they weak and timid, lacking in faith? How about being thankful? Do we just come with our shopping list? Or do we spend time praying, thanking God for his grace, his mercy, compassion, his goodness on our lives? Do you intercede when you pray? How much time? When you pray, do you spend praying for other people? Praying for their circumstances? Praying for their needs? Praying for their hardships that they're going through to, to, to be alleviated? Is there a burden on your heart to see God's kingdom expand, the will of God, more so than just our kingdom when we pray? 
that was the Apostle Paul's prayer. Read it. Read the text. Paul's burden was God's burden, forgetting about himself. So as we bow our heads this morning for a few moments, first and foremost, if there's anyone here today who's not serving the Lord, who's backslidden, anyone here today for the very first time, you want to give Jesus your life, you want to surrender, then this morning is your time to experience God's miracle working power. This morning is your time to rededicate your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. So today, if that's you, very first salvation, you want to respond to this altar call or rededication.